a dictator of a small country was frustrated that no one was using the stamp that bore his portrait. And so he bellyached to his postmaster and said, what's the problem? Why aren't people using the stamp that has my face on it? And the postmaster explained to him, he says, well, sir, we, there's a problem with the stamps. They're, they're not sticking to the envelopes. And so being very frustrated, the dictator took a stamp and he licked it and he slapped it on the envelope and he said, look, they're sticking just fine. You're lying to me. And so the postmaster, he froze and thought and he says, well, sir, I hate to break it to you, but the people are spitting on the other side. <laughs> Brothers and sisters, Leadership, spiritual leadership, is a very tall order. It is. Leadership is hard, and the responsibility that comes with it is very, very weighty. It's very heavy. But there are some observations that we get in Scripture, and I want to give you one this morning to lay the foundation for where I believe the Lord would have us to go. I want to give you a very sober and certain leadership truth that we extract from the Apostle Paul, and, and this is critical. It's found in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 10. And you need to understand, historically, what Paul was dealing with here wasn't friendly or kind. Uh, the Corinthian believers were, uh, they were something, putting it lightly. And he had a lot of heavy and hard things to say and all of that, but, but, but he says something here in 2 Corinthians 13, 10 that I think is very vital. He said this, he said, therefore I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord hath given me, listen very carefully, to edification and not to destruction. Whether you are a pastor, a leader in the church, a husband, a father, a mother, a director in the workplace, a manager in the workplace, you need to hear this, and so do I. Our leadership approach either builds people up or beats them down. This is true. Our leadership approach it either builds people up or it beats them down. There is no in-between. It's one or the other. Leadership in the church is a position of power, in particular in the church, that is given from the Lord. And it was given by him, listen, to edify people, to build them up. That's why, this is what Paul is getting at, to edification. It was not given to destroy them, beat them down. Our approach to leadership is going to do one of those. It will build people up or it will beat them down. This is the focus of verses 1 through 4 in 1 Peter chapter 5 and what we're titling Spiritual Leadership 101. This is a very basic look at leadership, but be not mistaken, when leadership goes south, and it does, when it goes south, you can mark it down. It, is, it always comes back to a deviation 
from these very basic observations that we're going to see this morning. Beginning in verse 1, 1 Peter 5 says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Now, for balance sake, it is important that we point out that Peter, very clearly here, makes it clear that he was addressing this portion of 1 Peter chapter 5 to elders. And he was not simply referring to men who were older, he was referring to the office that we commonly referred to today as pastor. So he's referring to men who hold the highest office that anyone can hold in the church. Okay? So if Peter was addressing elders, then clearly he had local churches in mind. Because that's where we find this office. I say this to caution us from being overly dismissive of the general epistles. We must be careful. We really do. Some view the general epistles as having no doctrinal value to the church whatsoever. And I believe that is a very dangerous view for this reason. How much scripture is profitable for doctrine? All. All Scripture, not just all Scripture except the general epistles in the Old Testament. Now, I understand. Everything must be rightly divided. I get that. However, (laughs) all Scripture is profitable for doctrine. But there is profit, as you'll see, as you've been seeing, as we have been coming through 1 Peter, and there is profit in what we're going to see this morning as it pertains to leadership in particular. Would you also notice, though, how Peter qualified himself? He said, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder. Now, the tone of that is one of equality, not primacy. Did you catch that? I point this out because this exposes one of the core heresies in Roman Catholicism which views Peter as the first pope that God used to establish his church and the guy who was above all the other apostles. If that's true, then Peter didn't get the memo because that is not how he presented himself here to the elders that he was addressing. What did he say? He said, who am also an elder. In other words, I'm just like you. I'm one of you. Where it's equal. <laughs> Another point of qualification was Peter being a witness to the sufferings of Christ. But he was not a witness in the sense of just observation, right? In other words, that he just saw it. A witness here means something undergone. So, as much as Peter had witnessed the sufferings of Christ, when you read the book of Acts in particular, you can see that he had undergone those sufferings himself, which would have resonated very strongly with this group who was what? They were suffering greatly. And so Peter is laying a a nice groundwork here for justifying what gave him the right to address them as leaders. Finally, he said that he was a partaker 
of the glory that shall be revealed. If you remember, in chapter 4 and verse 13, he told them that they are partakers of Christ's sufferings and that they will be glad with exceeding joy when the glory of Christ shall be revealed. What Peter was saying was, once again, I too, I will be a partaker of that as well. So since he was addressing elders, um, he was essentially justifying. This is important. This is wise. He, what he's doing here in this first verse in terms of what's going to follow, what he's doing is he's saying, let me explain to you what gives me the right to address you. I recognize your position. I recognize that you're elders. Some of you have never met me, may never meet me. So who is this guy, Peter, and what gives him the right to address us and tell us, instruct us on how we are to go about our business as elders? Well, he's just giving you the reasons why, which is a very wise move on his part, because I'm not sure that the Peter that we encounter in the Gospels um, would have approached it this way. Uh, the Peter that we approach, that we see in the Gospels versus the Peter who's writing First Peter are two different men. One is, was very immature, very full of himself, very compulsive, swift to speak, slow to hear, versus now he's matured. And you can clearly see it. And from what, we, what he addresses them about, we are going to make two very basic observations about spiritual leadership, and, and they are just that, they're very basic. Look at verse 2. Thank you for bearing with me. I, <clears throat> my voice is, is uh, I, I'm, I could tell my voice is going a little bit, and that's okay, but we're, listen, I wasn't going to miss this for the world, okay? I am so glad to be here, right here in this room. I'm good. Thank you, Mark. I'm good. But verse 2, we read, uh, feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. Now, uh, flock refers to a company or collection of sheep. We should get that. Being a direct disciple of Jesus, Peter absolutely saw God's people as sheep. Uh, this was very familiar to him. Therefore, his first point of instruction was as critical as it is basic. Feed the flock. Feed the flock. Obviously, uh, this was figurative for Peter, right? So the application will be spiritual. And what he had in mind is feeding the flock the Word of God. This is essential to spiritual leadership. It is. There are a number of books, there are a number of philosophies and thought processes um, regarding ministry today, um, and you can read as much of that stuff as you want. It's out there. The problem with so much of it is that it subtly undermines the importance of feeding the sheep the Word of God. It says, here's how you can tend to God's people and the emphasis on the Word of God is just not very strong. 
you can entertain them, you can do a lot of different things, and, but you don't actually have to double down and give them a strong, steady diet of this. And we call that leadership today. It's heartbreaking. When you consider Peter's history with Jesus, this command makes perfect sense because he got this. He got it in the most personal way. Would you consider John 21, beginning in verse 15? So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Can you understand now why this is the first point of instruction to elders, pastors? Peter got this. This was, this moment here laid the groundwork for what was going to be very transformative in Peter's life in terms of getting him from the Peter that we see in the Gospels to the Peter of 1 Peter that we're going through right now. This conversation was of significant magnitude. The issue here in this discourse was that, uh, that Peter and Jesus were not on the same page as it pertained to love. The love that Jesus was speaking of was the highest expression of love that there is, agape. The love that Peter had in mind was a lot less expensive than that. And this is what Jesus was trying to work him through, which is why Peter failed miserably three times in denying him, which is probably why Jesus asked the question three times. Because there was a point to this. See, Peter's denial proved, listen, that he had an emotional love for Jesus. But he didn't love him enough to give his life if it came to that. Peter loved him. I mean, he, as far as he knew, he loved him. I, yeah, of course. But what that denial, what that massive failure proved is that, no, Peter, you love me to a point. There is a line that you will come to, and that is as far as you are willing to go. When it comes down to it, where if it comes down to your neck, you're out. This was the conversation. Now, guess what? What happens from this moment to the epistle of 1 Peter was the maturation that it took for Peter to get to the point where he loved Jesus, where he was willing to give his life, and history says that's exactly what happened. That he died a martyr's death. The Peter who failed miserably in the Gospels in denying Jesus three times is the same Peter 
who said, when you crucify me, hang me upside down. I am unworthy to die in the same manner as my Savior did. Lovest thou me? He proved that he really did. Not here he wasn't there, but he got there, praise the Lord. Would you notice, though, that Jesus clearly connected feeding his sheep with loving him? This is critical. This helps to understand why this is the first point of instruction as it relates to spiritual leadership. Jesus essentially used this exchange to clarify for Peter what the rest of his life was to be about. And anyone who's been called to this very privileged, honored office, and I don't say that to puff me up or anybody else up, it is, listen, it is, it is an incredible honor to be a pastor. And I, and I know what God has to work with. He has to work with people like me who are the icon of imperfection, okay? It's not that... Pastors are elite or special, but it is a tremendous honor. But in this call, there's something that every pastor has to reconcile, and that is this. Feeding Jesus' lambs, his sheep, this is it. This is it for the rest of your life. This is what you're given to. You've got to feed my lambs. You've got to feed my sheep. For the rest of your life, this is what it is to be about. There's nothing else that you are to go after. There's no other competing ambition. This is it. This is it. Would you also notice how personal this is to Jesus? It's just simple, but I do think it makes a point. Would you notice what he said to Peter was, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Listen. Not feed the lambs. Not feed the sheep. No, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. This is very personal to Christ. He cares. Listen, any man who is gifted and called by God to the office of pastor, you've got to take it as personal as the Lord does. You've got to take his sheep as personal as he does. They matter, each and every one. Therefore, any new book, any new idea that says you can take care of the sheep by mitigating this in their life is garbage. I don't care how many copies it sells or how popular it is. Pure filth. Now, let me give you an irrefutable observation that I think is very, very critical. A spiritual leader who does not feed those they lead does not love the Lord or those they lead. Irrefutable. Irrefutable. You say, that's really strong. Let me validate it. Biblically, very clearly. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 13. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is in hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, 
seeth the wolf coming, and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them, and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is an hireling, and careth not for the sheep. If you do not care for the sheep, guess what that means? You don't love the sheep. (laughs) Because if you loved them, you would care for them. Hirelings, they were essentially hired hands. The problem was they didn't care for the sheep like the shepherd did. I mean, they, it was, they, listen, they cared about money, not the sheep. This was the issue. This is very interesting. The Webster's Dictionary of American English, 1828, this is my favorite dictionary. I know there are many words today that you won't find there, but, but the definitions in many cases in this dictionary are very close to the Word of God. Would you listen to how it defined a hireling? It defined a hireling as a mercenary or a prostitute. We have churches today, some very large, some large, some medium-sized, some small, who water down God's Word in any version and feed people very little portions of God's Word. The sermons are crafted just right so that we don't offend step on any toes, hurt any feelings. The tone is becoming more inclusive because once again, God forbid that anyone get a little uncomfortable in the preaching. The problem with that is when Jesus spoke in the synagogue, how did he speak? As one having what? Authority. What did the apostle Paul tell Timothy about preaching the word? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Is reproving, is that fun? Is that comfortable? Is rebuking, is that comfortable? I don't think so. But if all you're doing is feeding the sheep, if all you're doing is just exhorting, 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 you don't love God, and you don't love this, and you don't love them. It's impossible. While the masses might prefer that, please understand, those who do that are hirelings. They're hirelings. They don't care for the sheep. Now from here, Peter then instructs in another critical area of spiritual leadership. He goes on to say, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. So now this focus, this area of spiritual leadership one-on-one focuses on leading the sheep. Sheep must be fed and they must be led. So in the time remaining, we're going to look at these contrasting statements. This is where it gets, it's so clear, so simple, but so very critical. Peter now, he he gave these contrasting statements of 
what not to do and what to do in spiritual leadership. And listen, this is obviously, like I said, this is talking to pastors and, and leaders in the church. I get that. But once again, I do believe that this is applicable in the home. If you are a husband, you are a father, you are a mother, you need to listen. This is so critical, okay? Uh, there, are, there are principles that you can and need to glean uh, from what we're going to see here. It's beautiful. It's critical. But he says, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint. So taking the oversight thereof refers to the elder's role of overseeing the flock. But very clearly, he is not to do it by constraint. That is, this is important. He is not to abuse his God-given power in forcing people to do things. Okay? It is important for everybody to remember, when it comes to leadership, there's only one person in the universe that has unlimited authority, and it's no human being. It's God. We must always remember that. No one has unlimited power and authority. Right? So, here we go. Spiritual leaders must not lead forcefully. Spiritual leaders are not to lead forcefully. Listen, uh, leaders or pastors who lead forcefully, you know what they create? They create what I would call mandatory cultures. These are mandatory cultures. And these cultures, listen, whatever the pastor wants, whatever he desires becomes mandatory. You will do this. And you don't have the option not to do it. And if you don't do it, you're going to feel my wrath. How dare you disappoint me? And here's what's so very concerning. In this culture, people live in absolute fear of disappointing the pastor. Absolute fear. Instead of leading by force, spiritual leaders are to lead willingly. That is, spiritual leaders must lead voluntarily. This is what is meant by the word willingly. Pastors should take the oversight thereof because they desire to voluntarily. Not because they feel they have to involuntarily. Listen, this ought to be something that, like I said, like, I, listen, I get it. It's tough. It's difficult at times and all of that. But, but what else is there for me to do? Like, I, I love this. I can't believe I get paid. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes dealing with Mark, <laughs> I, I, I need to get paid. <laughs> but would you remember, what did the Apostle Paul say in 1 Timothy chapter 3? If a man, what, desire the office of a bishop, he desires the good work. Desire implies want to. Like, I, I, no, I, I want to do this. 
Not because I believe that I'm doing God a favor or the church needs me. It's just this desire is in agreement with how God has gifted and called me. So, yeah, I want to do this. That expresses voluntarily. This is critical because to lead by constraint produces a culture of law versus leading voluntarily or leading willingly produces a culture of grace. Those are night and day. Those cultures are very different. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Pastors who take the oversight thereof for filthy lucre, they possess a love for money, which is the root of all evil. So, spiritual leaders must not lead selfishly. If you're leading selfishly, you're leading because you're in it for what you can get out of it. And for, unfortunately, a number of men, they have identified the ministry as a very lucrative opportunity. The bigger the church, the bigger my account. And there are stories that are horrendous and will break your heart in terms of things that have happened. <laughs> it, I'll stop there. But of a ready mind, this phrase refers to alacrity, which means cheerfulness. So, here we go. Spiritual leaders must lead cheerfully. Cheerfully. God loves what kind of giver? Cheerful giver. Leadership in any capacity can be very challenging, but those in spiritual leadership with an involuntary spirit, they will not lead cheerfully. They'll lead grudgingly. Boy, if I could do something else, I sure would. These people are driving me up the wall. Man, I haven't had a raise in three years. You need to go do something else. <laughs> you really do. You really do. Verse 3, neither is being lords over God's heritage. God's heritage represents the flock that has been entrusted to the leader. Okay? And lording over them refers to, here we go, being overbearing and very controlling. So here we go. Spiritual leaders must not lead sovereignly. Remember what we said, no one has unlimited power and authority except God. And I'm going to tell you, ungodly leaders, the ones who lead by force, okay, the ones who lead selfishly, and the ones who, who try and lead where they're going to control everybody and everything, you know what happens? They take on a God complex. I'm God. And whatever I say goes. And you will do what I say. And I will control everybody and everything. Oh, man. Some husbands do that. Some fathers do this. 
Some mothers do this. You know, one of the lessons that I'm thankful that the Lord has given me and he has reminded me of from time to time, I'll share it with you. Some of you might need to hear it, but it is good for me to know that not only is it not my responsibility to make anybody do anything, I can't. I can't make people fill in the blank. (laughs) I can't. But it's not my job. It's not my responsibility to force anybody into anything. So let's not do that. But the spiritual leader who leads forcefully will attempt to lead sovereignly. And like we established What they will do is they will beat people into the ground and exasperate them. Where people are just like, man, I'm crushed. I can't breathe. You're suffocating me. That's no way to lead. And you know what God has to do? I've seen it. God has to bring an end to their reign. Like we started, just so you know, the reason those stamps aren't sticking. <laughs> I will never forget this, and, and, and the, Lord, the Lord made sure that I got this. This has been years ago, but there was a church who had a pastor who was very overbearing, extremely controlling. What he said went, and nothing else did. And it got to a point where the church could not take him another day. It got really bad. And it was the Lord. And the Lord removed him. And I'll never forget the, the leader of the pulpit committee. He and I were having a conversation, and I was, um, I guess, maybe con- in, in the role of consulting. How about that? And I'll never forget what he said, and I could hear in his voice. He said to me, he said, you have no idea how great it was for us to know that he was never coming back. Like, we're okay with being without a pastor as long as we need to be, as long as he is no longer here. Man, (laughs) but being in samples to the flock, spiritual leaders must lead exemplary. Do. What the flock must see are leaders who lead voluntarily and cheerfully, not forcefully, selfishly, and sovereignly. And for those who lead voluntarily and cheerfully, look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So this is one of five crowns that believers are eligible to receive at the judgment seat of Christ. But here's the reality. The spiritual leader who led by force, who led selfishly, who led sovereignly, will be disqualified from this crown. Because it wasn't Christ-like. 
John Maxwell is a believer uh, who he's written a number of books about leadership, and I've read a few of them, and I, I think very highly of a lot of his stuff. I haven't read everything, but the things I have read, I, I've, I've really gleaned a lot. And am I doing okay on time? I don't know who's doing the wrap-up. Am I okay on time? Okay. Um, but he gave five levels of leadership that I, I think, I'm just going to breeze through these, but I'm, I'm doing so to make a, con- a, a, a concluding point, if you would. So um, again, no matter where you are, parent, spouse, whatever it might be, uh, leader in the church, whatever, like, w- would you consider these, okay? Level one is position. A leader grants a particular person the right to lead. As a result, people follow them because they are directed to, not because they are influential. Okay? So in other words, um, you go to work tomorrow and uh, your director says, hey, uh, Mark, you, you you have a new manager now. Okay, no matter what you think about them, you have to follow them because they're your manager, right? That's just their position says you got to follow me, okay? Level two is permission. The leader focuses on building and growing relationships with their employees. As a result, their team members give them free permission to lead. Level three, production. When a leader reaches level three, they focus on the increase of results. In turn, people follow them because they trust the person knows what they're doing and will lead them in the right direction. You can see how these are progressing, right? Level four, people development. Those who reach level four are servant leaders who teach, mentor, and multiply other leaders. They obtain and maintain followers because people know they positively influence the lives of everyone around them. Level five, pinnacle. Level five leaders, the rarest type of leader, are well known for their accomplishments, how they've enriched the lives of others and and led their organizations to change uh, the world for better. These leaders have followers because of who they are, what they've done, and what they represent to people. Here's my point, and I'll I'll be done right here. Listen, forceful, selfish, and sovereign leaders never make it past level one. That is extremely dangerous. The level one leader who is doing these things, right? Forcefully, selfishly, sovereignly, is a leader that says, you're going to follow me because I'm in the position that says you better. And if you don't, there will be Hades to pay. That is grievous to the Spirit of God, and it beats people down. Doesn't build them up. So leaders, let's not be a level one leader. Let's trust God to grow. Father, thank you for your word that always brings great clarity. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the challenge of spending time with you over this and the things that you challenge and sharpen me over. And God, I pray for every listener. Um, Lord, we are a church that's making disciples by your grace for your glory, which means we are 
leading and developing leaders. And so, Lord, as we develop, help us to take to heart the things that we see here in 1 Peter chapter 5 about leadership. In Jesus' name, amen.